0: after our our th- this past Friday night my son went back to college uh, he goes to a college I don't know if you if you went to college, Especially if you went to college out of state, they they let you go home for Thanksgiving, but then you have to go back uh, for like the first two weeks of December. It's really stupid, um, right? Anybody with me on that? Uh, you got to come all the way home, then you got to go all the way back just to take finals, and then you come back again uh, because Thanksgiving and Christmas are so close together. And what his college did is they took that two weeks in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and they put that at the beginning of the semester. So he goes to college the second week of August, but when he comes home for Thanksgiving, he didn't have to go back until the middle of January. That's, if you're a college administrator, you ought to consider that in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, parents around the country will thank you for that. That's an that's a awesome thing. So he went back on Friday night. Um, we, we play uh, Call of Duty together. And uh, I'm an Xbox guy uh, because Jesus hates PlayStation. I thought I should put that out there. And if you're a PlayStation guy, you need the Lord. Um, but anyway, so we, my, my, my controller doesn't work with my headphones anymore. I uh, don't know why. I mean, it still works with the game, fine. I mean, if, I, if I'm not moving, it's, it's, it, the, the gun will just start going up to the sky. So I'm constantly having to, like, work. So it's, I need a new, con- I'll get a new controller. Anyway, um, so, my wife's in the service. Babe, that'd be a great gift for my birthday. <laughs> a great gift for my birthday. I want a pimped out one like Garrett got or Ryan has. That's a man, he's got a nice one. Um, so he's got four controllers because he lives in the dorms. All of his the guys on his floor come over and then they play, you know, the the split screen and all that. But um so he comes home from work uh, about two weeks ago, and I've got, I didn't take his his gray and green one, that's the expensive one. Um, I think he, he might have paid like $80, $90 for that controller, uh, but I got his blue one, and that used to be his good one until he he bought with his own money the super nice one, and I've got that connected, I'm using it, and it's connected to my Xbox, not his Xbox, so I could use a, this This all ties into Jesus in a minute, so <laughs> we'll get there. Um, Anyway, I I don't know if it does. Now I'm like, the squirrel was like, just talk about Xbox for a while. They'll like it. Um, Anyway, so he comes home from work, and I'm using his blue controller. And he goes, did you ask? And I said, who gave you life, son? Like, right? Like, I kill you and make another one. That's what your mama and I can do. I can keep making those. You know what I mean? Uh, Anyway, um, so he... um, so I said, can I use it? And he said, It'd be nice if you asked for it. So I was like, You're right. I'm sorry. I should have asked. You want me to give it back now? And, and he goes, No, you, you can use it. Um and he goes, but I'm still gonna I, whatever. Anyway, so uh so when he left on Friday night, um uh I didn't notice and so he left. I was a little bit weepy, and I'm sure everybody who's a regular here at Grace Church is completely surprised by that. But um I was a little, bit, a little bit teary, and we do this thing where we stand on the front porch and we wave as they drive off. So they would go back in, I'm, babe, you okay? Yeah, his girlfriend was there, he's like, you okay? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm the only one not okay. <laughs> so I go, I go up to the attic to play, to play Xbox, and I walked over to my seat. And the blue controller was still there. He took all the other controllers, but left me the good one. Isn't that sweet? Like, oh my gosh, I love him so much! <laughs> he's such a good little boy! <laughs> As a good little boy, he's 20 years old and he's 6 foot 4. Ain't nothing little about this kid. Um he's a great great kid. Um after he was born, um my my wife went through a thing. And uh with that happens sometimes. And some of you ladies have gone uh through that and uh it it changed like her whole chemistry. Um her hair changed colors. Uh used to be straight her whole life and and it just got like kinky curly and uh and, and she just went through a, a season of, of darkness and um, went to the doctor and, you know, he put her on some medication. I have her permission to share this um, just in case you're like, oh, my gosh, you're talking about your wife. And, but dude, I'm going out of town today, so she can't hurt me. So or she better do it quick because I'm going to the airport. Um, uh, but, 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 and, and the medication it did what medication is supposed to do, but it, it, it really was more than that. It, it really was. And, uh, she was going through, uh, depression. She, depression. she would pray and, like, God, you know, take this from me. And, I, like, why do I feel sad all the time? And, like, my life is beautiful. Why do I not want to live anymore? And, like, just, just, you know, just a really dark place. And, and, and it felt like she was just talking to the ceiling. And, um, and, and nobody was there, and and it was uh, like, why do I why do I even pray? Because it doesn't feel like God answers my prayers. And uh, we 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 started this series last week, uh, where that that atheist activist had said that uh, he said prayer is just a, a a placebo, a powerful placebo uh, for the religious, and we'd all be better off if we just acknowledge that. And the reason why I had said that is because most of us measure whether or not our prayers work by whether or not we get what we ask for. And, um, and that's, that's no more the point of prayer than my kids having a relationship with me just so that they can get everything they ask for. Because the truth is, uh, I hopefully, I'm a good dad, which means that I tell them no more than I tell them yes, especially the younger they were, because the stuff that they asked for was ridiculous, right? Like, he's seven. Can I drive the car? No, you can't can i play in the street no can i run with scissors no can i stab my sister what did she do so <laughs> um but you just you you do end up saying no more than yes the younger they are and truthfully most of your conversation with your small kids is just them asking you for stuff right and i think the same thing is true spiritually speaking is that the younger we are, and more immature we are in our faith, the more all of our prayer time is just, give me, I want this, I want this, do this, do this. It's it's We're like toddlers. And then if God says, no, you can't play in the street, we like three-year-olds just, well, I'm not gonna talk to you no more because talking to you don't, don't work, right? So somebody had encouraged Billy Jane to read through the book of Psalms. And if you, if you have a, a hard copy of the Bible and you open it up to the very middle, there's a really good chance that you're in the book of Psalms. And King David from David and Goliath fame, he, he wrote most of those, not all of them. And they became like, they're, it's poetry about his relationship with God uh, that, that turned into songs. And so the, the, the Jewish people used his collection of, of poetry as like a songbook. And most of them are actually prayers. And someone told her to, to you know, get a notebook and to just journal through the book of Psalms. Who knows how long it takes. And, and, and honestly, by the time, it took about a year and a half because she she took her time with it. Uh, maybe maybe a little, little bit less than that. Uh, and then God brought her out of that season about the same time as she got done journaling through the book of Psalms. So some of you guys, that'd be a good thing to do, possibly. But I, But David's prayers were the same kind of prayers that my wife prayed. And I think she's like she really found that encouraging like Psalm chapter 4 verse one says answer me when I call to you you ever felt like that we were praying like God like answer me man like where the heck are you uh, oh God who declares me innocent free me from my troubles have mercy on me and hear me like I, like David's in the first verse he asked God like please hear me twice because he's not doesn't feel like God does Psalm chapter 5 verse 1 oh Lord hear me as I pray pay attention to me pay attention to my groaning like I'm I'm suffering and you're not doing anything about this uh, Psalm chapter 10 verse 1 oh Lord why do you stand so far away from me why do you hide from me when I'm in trouble like that's that man that's 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 how she felt right so she's praying through this Psalm 13 verse 1 oh Lord how long are you going to forget me forever how long are you going to look look the other way and, and ignore me is what he's praying. That's, man, that's, David wasn't getting what he asked for in, in his prayer time. Last week, we said that prayer should not be measured by whether or not uh, God gives me my Christmas list. Uh, he's not a genie in the lamp, and he doesn't owe me three wishes. Now, truthfully, the creator of heaven and earth does not owe me jack and has already blessed me more than I deserve. So truthfully, I'm way more blessed than what I, what I deserve. And the idea that I would presume that he owes me more is, is a little ridiculous and truthfully a little a little fresh. So we said that prayer is actually access and the point of prayer is to get to know the person that you're praying to. It's Same thing as the point of talking to your parents as a child is to learn to communicate with them and develop a relationship with them. They have stuff that, that you need, like information and wisdom and coaching and, and counsel and, and, honestly, love and encouragement and support that you're disconnected from when there's no communication with them. And that's more the purpose for prayer than it is you getting your Christmas list. Um, but we said prayer is access. Uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, but it was an A, B, C is what it was. It's, it's access that you have that you don't actually get until you start that behavior of actually praying, and that's the B, then, then the C was just communication. It's it's just talking to God, and I think God would rather hear your ugly, messy prayer than he would you memorizing some some other dead saint's prayer from 400 years ago. Uh, you know, like he he wants to hear from you, man. Like just just talk to him. And and this week uh, we're gonna look at a prayer that David prayed that God didn't answer. Uh, David David's son was sick and was gonna die, and David went to God and begged him, "Let my son live. Let my son live. Let my son live." And God said no. And his baby died. Like that's, hang on. That's the worst thing for anybody to go through, any parent. Can't even imagine Oh my gosh. Woo. But then begging God, let my kid live. Like why wouldn't God answer that prayer? Why wouldn't he? And he didn't. He straight up told David no, and his kid died. What does David do with that, right? I don't know. That's the end of the sermon. I'm just kidding. We're going to look at it. I'm going to show you. But in, in this little, this, this horrible moment, probably the worst moment, the worst week of his life, um, when God doesn't answer his prayer, we see three reasons why you should pray even if the answer is no. And that's what we're gonna be looking at. Um, so if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And uh, our cell phone, everybody here has a cell phone. Hopefully you've already downloaded the Bible app. It's number one most downloaded app in the world. I don't know if you know that or not, but you can download the Bible app, it's for free. And I bet you even if you don't, like you weren't born speaking English, um, you you'll you got it in that language too. Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, and I need to give you a little bit of context. Uh, David is a um, is the youngest uh, born kid uh, to, to his family, and the prophet Samuel. Uh, comes to Jesse, his dad, and says, one of your sons been uh, has, has been chosen by God to be king. Go get all of your boys. And he gets all of his boys but David because David's the eighth born. And in their culture, the firstborn son is the apple of dad's eye because he gets a double portion of the inheritance that all the other kids get. And if he dies, the next kid has to be ready. So like with each succeeding kid that you have, there's less emphasis you put on that kid's education and development and everything. And, and David's just stuck out in the field all the time as the shepherd because every other, like, David's hoping that his mom gets pregnant again so he can get his butt out of the field, right? Like, that's that's the crappiest job, is is just living out in the field all the time uh, in the weather with these sheep. Uh, so the, the Samuel looks at all the other sons and says, that God said none of these are it. Do you have another kid? Like, well, I don't know ain't no any other explanation for this. And he goes, yeah, but it's just David. That's what he, That's what Jesse says. It's just David. Uh, but he's out in the field. And so Samuel says, we'll, we'll go get him. So he comes back in. He's anointed king. But he doesn't become king for more than 10 years later. In between him being anointed king by Samuel and him becoming king is the David and Goliath story. And that happened because David's dad uh, sent David to go check on the brothers who were in in war and uh, to take them cheese. I don't know why, it's just an extra detail in the Bible, but he he took them 10 cheeses. That's what David did, takes 10 cheeses uh, to the battlefront. Uh, to give to the captain of, of, of their, their, his brother's, uh, whatever. Um, sorry, you're like, you weren't military, were you? No, I wasn't. I'm sorry, because I would have known the whatever what that's called. But, uh, but I do know what a captain is. Sorry, to give the cheeses to the captain. And then uh, David, David does the Goliath thing. And uh, religious or not, you've probably heard of that. And after that, David becomes a part of King Saul's entourage. And wherever King Saul goes, David goes. And he has these horrible moods. And whenever he gets into a bad mood, David's also a musician. David's like the total package. The Bible said he's good looking. He's a warrior, and he's got a soft, tender musician side. So, like, he's like he's everything, man. He writes poetry, and he slays dragons. Like, he's he's the total package. Uh, and then, then um um um. Saul finds out somehow that David's been anointed king instead of his son, Jonathan. And then now he's got to kill David. So David's out in the wilderness hiding for his life. He's still not king. Uh, and the Bible says that he, he attracts a crowd of ruffians, bandits, and thieves. Other people who have been banished by society. And there's 30 of them that become a part of his crew. And when David becomes king, all 30 of these guys kind of come up with him. And they become known, even today, they're known as the 30 mighty men of valor. That's what they're called, from thieves to mighty men of valor. So David's 30 mighty men of valor. These guys have been like with him. They've been his boys since he was a teenager. And like in all the battles, like no doubt half these guys had saved his life at some point from some random soldier that was going to catch him from behind. Like they, they've been, they actually like were in real war together for d- a decade, right? And one of these guys, na- one of these guys wasn't, wasn't even Jewish, and his name is Uriah. Uh, Uriah the Hittite, and the Hittites—they're uh, famous. You can study them in history. But um, he was—he was a Hittite, and he was one of David's best friends. And uh, David, after he becomes king, gets cocky and presumptuous, and he no longer leads in battle anymore. He stays at home and sends everybody else to die, on his behalf. In one of these battles, he's at home, and he sees Uriah's wife, and he seduces her, and he gets her pregnant. But he doesn't want to suffer the consequences of being called out and uh, facing his best friend for getting his best friend's wife pregnant while his best friend was out fighting for him. Like it's a horrible thing, and so David sends a letter to the to the front to bring to bring Uriah back. And he wants Uriah. I'm going to give you like a little leave of absence from the front, and uh, you know go go home to your wife because like if he can get her to go home from, if he can get him to go home with his wife, then nine months later when the ba- baby comes, then everybody will think it's Uriah's. Uh, but Uriah goes, I'm not going to go home to my wife when all my men are out there dying. So he sleeps on, on the front steps of the king's palace. And that's a un- unbelievably honorable. And so David thinks, all right, well, if I get him drunk, maybe he'll go home to his wife. And so he gets him drunk, and then he still won't do it uh, because he's got such integrity. So then David sends a note back to Joab, the general, uh, that he takes his own murder note uh, to, to his commanding officer. And uh, the, the note says that tomorrow, go to the hottest part of the battle and give a signal to everybody except Uriah to retreat at the same time. So they go to the, the hard, hottest part of the battle and when, the, when the, the enemy attacks them, everybody retreats and Uriah just stays there and just fights until he dies. So David pretty much murdered him with this note. The, a prophet comes to Daniel, his name is Nathan. And he says, uh, David, there's a, there's a guy who has a, he has a gigantic flock of sheep. Uh, and, he, and he has a friend come visit him. And instead of sacrificing one of his own sheep to feed his friend, he goes over to his next door neighbor. Now, his next door neighbor only has one sheep. Uh, and it's like a pet to his children. Like his children have raised this sheep from a lamb. And it's in the home. Like it's, like a, it's, a, it's a pet. It's a part of the family. And this guy, instead of killing one of his own sheep to feed his friend, uh, kills his neighbor's sheep to feed his friend. What do you think ought to happen to that guy? And David goes, that dude needs to die. And then Nathan said, you're that man. Because David could have had any woman in Israel. He's a king. He's good looking. He writes poetry and he slays dragons. Right? He's amazing. He's like, he could have had any woman in, in Israel. But you took Uriah's wife? Oh, and then you murdered the dude that owned the sheep right? That's, that's the situation. So it's a little bit tense, and that's where we're at in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Here's what it says, verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan replied. I've sinned. He confessed to Nathan that he had sinned, but he didn't ask Nathan for forgiveness because Nathan isn't the one that forgives sins. God forgives sins. And we know that David prayed, and the reason why we know that David prayed is because we're gonna read David's prayer in a minute. It's one of the prayers that my wife had read through in the book of Psalms. We're gonna to get to that in a minute. So he he, he confesses his sin he, to God also. He confessed to Nathan, I, I've sinned. And then Nathan tells him, God has forgiven you. And God has forgiven him because of the prayer that David makes in Psalm 51. We're gonna get there in a minute. Uh, yes, he says, Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Verse 14, is probably the most uncomfortable, one of the most uncomfortable, there's others, but this is one of the most uncomfortable verses in the whole Bible for me personally. Verse 14, nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to to spare the child, verse 16. Uh, David begged God to spare the child and he went without food and lay all night on 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 the bare ground. The elders of his household begged him to get up and eat with them, but he he wouldn't do it. Then on the seventh day, his child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. They said he wouldn't listen to reason when the child was alive. What drastic thing is he going to do when we tell him that his kid is dead? When David saw his servants whispering, he realized what had happened, and he said, "Is, is my son dead? He asked, yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground. What would you do, by the way? What did you do? Like when you ask God to heal your grandmother, and, and then he didn't, and then she died. Like, I, I, I have personal friends. And I just said, I, I don't mean this blasphemy, but, but like a screw God, I'm out. He didn't do what I want him to do, and I'm done with him. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, in this scenario... What would you expect David? The same thing, you would have expected David to do something similar to what David's own servants were expecting him to do. Like, what horribly drastic thing is he going to do once he finds out, like, if he acted that way when the kid was alive, what's he gonna do now that his, his kid, kid is dead? And, and uh, like, I, I don't know what you're expecting, but it probably isn't what David actually did. Because here's what he did. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, <laughs> he was ashy. <laughs> and, and changed his clothes into fresh, clean clothes. And he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. I did not see that coming. Did you? Unbelievable. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and then he ate. And, and he, like he's, homeboy's back on his game. Uh, verse 21, his advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was living, uh, you wept and refused to eat, but now that your kid is dead, you've stopped your mourning and are eating again. Like, I, I explained this. And David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back? And then he says this, I will go to him one day, but he, but he cannot return to me. And it's from this verse, by the way. That we get the theology uh, that babies uh, that are 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 born right uh, without a saving knowledge of God are also born without an awareness of of sin, and so we say that they're not saved. We say that they're safe. So we we do believe and teach that when a when a child dies, uh, who's not able to understand sin and the consequences of sin, that they do enter the present. They do go to heaven. We do believe that. We also believe, um, we also believe that that other mentally. Uh, handicapped adults, uh, that if you're not capable of understanding what sin is, right, like what David said, my, my kid is in the presence of God and I'll go to him one day. And so that's that verse right there. That's where that theology comes from. If, if you're curious, I had a couple of people walk up and say, oh, I didn't know why we believe that. And it's, it's because of what David said uh, that, that we, we believe that. Um, but, he, but he said, um, but I can't bring them back. Uh, One day I'll go to him, but he cannot return to me. Then David comforted, and then now we finally get the name of Uriah's wife. Uh, Then David comforted Bathsheba. Raise your hand if you've heard of Bathsheba. Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And David named him. Anybody know? King Solomon. What? What? That's who King Solomon's mom is. Like, that's how, that's how King Solomon's mom and his dad got connected through this horrible scandal, right? Like, that's, that's crazy. But there's three reasons why, seeing this passage of Scripture, that we need to pray even if God doesn't tell, give us what we want. And the first thing is this. Uh, we pray because prayer reconciles us to God. That's why we pray. Prayer reconciles us to God. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, verse 13, Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and, and you won't die. Now, it's not saying the prayer that reconciled him to God. It's what David prayed that reconciled him to God. It's repentance expressed through prayer that reconciled David to God. You just chanting prayers on a bead or a necklace. Like you're, Jesus even said, don't, we're going to uh, add, that's next Sunday's sermon. Sorry, next Sunday sermon. I almost stepped all over next week's preaching. Um, I only have time for one sermon a day, not, not two. Um, but First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins to God, to him, God, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to clean us from all the unrighteousness. And I, I love that, that, that he doesn't just forgive us, but he, he washes the stain away, because sometimes we know that we're forgiven, but we still feel dirty, right? Uh, and everybody's really, really quiet, so I, I know it's right, right? And I, and I love that, that he doesn't just say, I'm no longer going to hold that against you. He goes, I'm going to treat you as though it never happened. Like I think conviction comes from God to get me to repent. But if I still feel shame after I've already repented, that's not God. Right? That's that's the enemy trying to hold Sean's head underwater. That's what that is, right? Because I'm not only am I forgiven, but I'm washed. Clean of that. Like I'm cleansed from my I'm forgiven and cleaned from and that's important. Both parts of those are clean. Like David needs that, man. It's not just forgiven. He needs to get this stain off his heart right and that's what the scripture says it's our it's confessing our sins it's a re, it's admitting I have sinned against you God right i'm I'm sorry I need forgiveness and and it, that's expressed through a prayer is what it is and David confessed that he had sinned to Nathan but it wasn't to Nathan that David prayed and now I'm going to show you the prayer that David actually prayed to God after Nathan said, you're the man uh, Psalm chapter 51 verse one. here's the prayer that David actually prayed that that got him reconciled to To God, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of of my my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. And that's that's before David found out That God wasn't going to kill him. Like David had already said, the punishment for that guy that stole the sheep is death. And he says, You are the man. Oh crap. He knows what that means. And David says, David's not, this isn't a get out of jail free prayer. It's not a I'm praying so that God will keep me out of trouble. David's prayer is: whatever punishment I get, I deserve. I deserve. We don't pray to get out of the consequences right? You plant an apple seed, you can't get mad at God if you grow an apple tree. If you don't want apple trees, don't go planting apple seeds, right? Like you you do the deed, you might do the time. And the prayer in between, right? It reconciles you to God. That's why we pray. It might not keep you out of jail, right? So he says, your judgment against me is fair, but it's the sin in my heart that needs to be taken care of. Every single person in this room has sinned against God and against other people. Everybody here has broken the commandments, and you've probably broken all 10, right? Briefly, I can do them quick. The first one is don't make anything more important to you than me. I've made my Xbox more important to me than God before. I've made money more important to God. I've made fantasy football more important to God. Now I'm stepping on all the dude's toes, right? I've made little league sports more important to God. Some of y'all needed to hear that right? I've, I've, I've made a lot of, I've broken the first commandment, so have you. Second commandment is don't bow down to anyone or to anything or pray to anyone or worship anyone but me. And some of us were raised in churches that taught us as children to pray to other people our whole lives, not even knowing we we're breaking the second commandment. Third, third, third commandment is, is uh, uh, don't take my name in vain. And we've probably all, all done that. I've Never mind. Um, a fourth one is don't ever skip a day of, of rest and worship. Don't ever skip the day of rest and worship. That's Sabbath. And, and, and I didn't see all y'all last week, so I know some of y'all, right? Uh, I don't even, you're like, oh, my gosh, you are pointed me out. No, I don't even know who you are, so it's all right. Um, uh, but you did get here late with me today. I was late, and our youth pastor was right behind me, so I knew it was. Anyway, um, sorry, that has nothing to do with the commandments. Number five is uh, don't disrespect your parents. And hello, uh, everybody's done that. Uh, Number six, and I get six through 10 out of order, but I I know them. Uh, One is uh, don't commit adultery, and we're like, I'm I'm safe, and that becomes, that's more and more out there, but Jesus then said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you've lusted over somebody, you're you're committed adultery in your heart, so I've committed adultery. Um, He said, don't murder, and if you have killed somebody, please don't tell anyone here today. (laughs) You got away with it. Just keep your mouth shut, all right? Just keep your mouth shut. Or we do have security, and we will put them on your butt. That's what we'll do. By the way, it's one of the volunteer teams that's understaffed. So if you can handle yourself, let us know. Anyway, but Jesus said if you've hated somebody, you're guilty of murdering your heart. So I have become a serial murderer every time I've been in traffic on 93. Like, I am murdering everybody. Like, dead, 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 dead. I've just murdered everybody. <laughs> then is don't steal, right? Now it's eight, uh, don't lie, that's nine. And 10 is don't wish somebody else's stuff is your stuff. Did you pass any of them? And the truth is, if, if God is good on judgment day, he's not gonna ask, are you better than the next dude in line? Are you innocent or guilty of sinning against me and against others? And you're gonna say guilty. And if God is good, He can't let you into heaven. You're guilty, you're screwed. That's why you need mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you didn't deserve, right? Jesus, said, have mercy on me. Please don't give me what I do deserve, I'm sorry. He was looking forward to the day and sacrifices, and he gets to that at the end of the chapter. Uh, To atone for his sins, Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice for everyone's sins. And I accept Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the, as the atonement, as a sin, as a substitute payment for the debt I've created against you, God. Please forgive me and save me. What you really need is reconciliation with God. And, and that doesn't mean that you'll never step out of line again. Like every time, like any time I'm, I'm 100% married to Billy Jane, I'm 100% married. But I, I hurt her feelings sometimes, right? And so when I, when I hurt her, it puts our relationship in tension. And what I need to do is I need to go back to my wife and ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't make me married again. What it does is it reconciles our relationship. So when, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm his child. When I sin, it doesn't make me not saved anymore. But it puts tension in the relationship. And I'm at odds now with God. And so prayer, real, it reconciles me. It puts me back in right relationship again. That's what I, that's what I see uh, in, in David. Second thing that prayer does is prayer re-centers our lives on the goodness of God. It re-centers our lives, like it, it puts us under the center of God's will for our lives, is, is what it does. David begged God, verse 16, to spare the child. He went without food and lay, on the night, lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of the household pleaded with him to get up and to eat, but he refused. Uh, David had, up until that point, hadn't been talking to God in who knows how long didn't care what God thought about anything, or didn't care what God wanted for him. God wasn't a part. Like and sometimes I think that's true. The more successful we become, the more forgetful, the more successful we become, the more forgetful we are of how God was the one that blessed us with that success. Like we'll we'll pray when our wife tells us she's leaving us. Or we'll pray when we're laid off, or we'll pray when our partner screws us out of, out of the business. Then we pray, but when we're living large, when I'm king of the world, we, we forget God. And, and David had too, and, and uh, yeah, he had drifted far away from God and was no longer leaning into his relationship with God. And in verse 22, David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive because I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. And in David's prayer, he, he just re-acknowledges that God, I actually, I actually do need you. And, and he had forgotten. And it took the poop hitting the fan. Like it, it took it took him losing almost everything for him to get to the place where he remembered how much he actually was dependent on the goodness of God. And that's what prayer does. Prayer keeps me from getting cocky. Prayer is a constant reminder that homeboy ain't a self-made man. That's what it is. And when I'm praying, I'm acknowledging that everything that I have, everything that I am, God, is yours. Like I'd I'm yours is, is, is what I am. Uh, yeah, so by, by fasting he was, he, was, he was declaring that he now wanted what God wanted more than more than anything he had ever wanted uh, for himself. Uh, Nathan had actually already told David that his son would die. and David's prayer then is in contradiction uh, to the word of God. And some people would see this as defiance, but I see it on dependent I see it as dependence on God doing what God thinks is best. Soren Kierkegaard, Uh, Soren Kierkegaard uh, said the function of prayer is not to influence God or to change God uh, but the the function of prayer is actually to change the nature of the one who's praying I I don't pray to change God I pray because that's where I'm changed that's where David comes before God and he says I actually want what you want more than anything what I want you to want is this but the truth is I, I trust you even if you don't do this. And, and we know that David trusted God to do what God felt was right by the way David responded when God didn't do what David thought was right, is, is what we see. And in the same situation, I think many people would have turned their back on God and pouted like a toddler because God didn't do what I, it's not that God didn't hear your prayer. God just said no. We're just brats about it. Same thing as your kid was. When you told them no, like we really do the exact same thing to God when he doesn't answer our prayer. Well, I'm not going to talk to you anymore, is is what we do. And there's a a contrast here between uh, a religious expression, and by religious, I mean religion as a function, and in grace. All religions of the world have this in common, and it's the idea that God lets good people into heaven. They might have a different name for God and a different version or list of what's good and a different name for heaven or Abraham's bosom or paradise or Yahweh or Jehovah, God, Jesus, or Allah, but the idea is the same. Like if you do enough good things, God will hook you up. That, that's the idea behind re- religion and in that, It's a performance-based faith is what it is. And what it says is, if I do enough good, then God will love me. So if God does enough good, I'll love him. Right? And when you're mad at God because he didn't do enough that you asked, your faith is misplaced. Because you're under the assumption that if you do enough good, he'll love you. But grace says... You're already loved the way you are. Therefore, I love God as he is. He doesn't have to perform for me either. That's grace. And that brings me to the third thing that I learned about why I should pray even if God tells me no. And that's that prayer restores a healthy heart of worship. It restores my heart, man. It like, it heals me. I mean, it took my wife a year because she's a horrible prayer, apparently. I'm kidding. I'm just saying, like, sometimes the deeper the hole, the taller the ladder, right? So, but prayer brought her through that that season. When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He's dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle, and he worshiped the Lord. And after that, he returned to the palace and was served food, and he ate. Worship is an expression of devotion to something or someone. And this, this uh, response shocked everybody. And David's response to their shock was, "I, I, I can't change this. So I choose to worship. Job said the same thing. Job lost everything, except his wife, who might have been the one thing he wished he had lost. <laughs> if you read the story, you know why everybody else is laughing. This woman, oh my God, she's like curse God and die, right? She's not a pleasant woman to be stuck with in a house. But he loses everything, and here's what he says. He says, "Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return." Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything I have comes from God, and if he takes it all away, I'm thankful that I had it as long as I did. I didn't deserve any of it in the first place. And my wife and I are going through a thing right now. And by the way, this sermon series is kicking my butt. Kicking my butt. And not with each other, but we're going through something that's uh, a little bit scary. So, I'm telling God everything that I, I know that God should do. And I'm telling him, I think you ought to do this and this and this and this and this. And meanwhile, I'm reading the story about David where God goes, no, the worst thing that to happen is, is going to happen. Then what will you do? And I'm, and I'm reading that David... Sorry. I'm realizing what I'm going to have to do. If God doesn't come through. Basically what I'm, we say God come, that's how we put it, right? So that if it doesn't happen, then he didn't come through. It's his fault. I just caught myself doing that. If God says no, I'm gonna have to get up, wash my clothes, and sing a stupid church song. I'm gonna have to worship. Why? Because naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'm going to return. But blessed be the name of the Lord. God is good, even when life sucks. God is good. Ricky Smiley, God is good. And all the time. Ricky Smiley had no idea he was going to be quoted today. In a church in Boston. God is good even when life is hard. And even if the worst thing happens to me, it might not be the worst thing that happens to me if that's what it takes for God to get my heart again. Right? Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And on Wednesday night, I'm reading this and I come into the bedroom and I just told Billy Jane. If God says no. Blessed is the name of the Lord. She's like, what are you talking about? And I told her, you know, naked we came from our mother's womb. And if we lose everything, naked we shall return. But like this whole ride is a beautiful thing. The highs and the lows and the, the love and the betrayal. Like it's a, this is a freaking awesome ride that we're all on. And God put you. Every beautiful thing that you've had in your life are just little drops of love and grace that God's placed in there so that you would know that in a sin-cursed world, he still sees you and loves you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. David knew that God was greater than him even if he was greater than everybody else and it took him getting caught in the horrible sin to be reminded of it, but he responded appropriately and his response tells us why we pray. It reconciles us to God It recenters our lives under the will of God, and it restores our heart of worship. And here's what's cool. Because of the way that David responded in prayer, and he recentered his life, and when the worst thing happened, he still chose to get up and take a shower and put on lotions, change his clothes, and, and go to the tabernacle to worship God. Bathsheba, because of her choice to honor God with her life, becomes one of only four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Only four women are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And one of them is Uriah's wife. What if David had not prayed? What if he had not repented of his sin? What if he had not resented himself under the will of God? And what if he had not worshiped God when God told him No. Guarantee you, there'd be no Solomon. I'm telling you, all of human history is different because that dude prayed even when God said no. That's why we pray. Because God is good even when life is, when life is not. I'm gonna give you a chance to pray right now if you would bow your head with me. God, I know that prayer brings uh, your, your best out of my worst. Prayer brings me into your presence and I know that you love me even when I don't see you, even when I don't feel you. My feelings lie to me all the time. They don't determine truth. Your word does. Prayer opens me up to what you want, even if it's not what I wanted. The center of my heart changes when I pray. My heart is healed when I pray. My mind is changed when I prayed. And my life is rescued when I pray. God, I love you with all of my heart. And I'm thankful that you love me even when I don't love you. Even when I'm pouting, even when I'm holding my breath in a little stupid temper tantrum. You still love me. And for all the times I've turned my back on you, you never turned yours on me. And I just want to say thanks. I, I'm, I'm just grateful. Every good and perfect gift I have in my life, God, is a gift from you that you... You did not owe me anything. You didn't owe me Billy Jane. you didn't know me any of our three kids. You didn't owe me a family. You, didn't, you don't owe me nothing. But I have things that are beautiful. and I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if there's sin in your heart, you need to reconcile to God. Tell him. Maybe you're distant from God. You've been running from him, and you're just tired of running from God. So your prayer is, God, I'm tired of running from you, man. I I know that I've sinned and I'm sorry. Pray a David prayer. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Take all the junk and darkness out of my heart. God, save me from my own sin. Save me. Jesus, thank you for being the payment, the substitutionary atonement for my sin. Thank you for laying down your life for me. Thank you for raising from the dead with a new life. And I need that new version of this life because this one isn't working for me. God, forgive me and save me. Make that your prayer. Maybe you're mad at God because he ain't doing what you're telling him to do. So your prayer is, God, I'll tell you what I want, but truthfully, I'd rather, I really want what you want for me even more than what I want for me. So I'll tell you what I want, but I'm okay with whatever you do. Can you make that your prayer? Because I trust you. Like I I do, I, I trust you. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. But you are good. The whole ride, you're good. God, let me worship with a clean heart. Free all the junk and the clutter and the static out. I just want to breathe deep again. Help me to get up, to wash this off of me, and to get going again. That's our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all say together. Amen.